is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Hey, it's good to be here with y'all. Um, sorry, I don't know if people say y'all here or not. In Mississippi, everything's y'all. So um, this is uh, the first time I think that I've been outside of an airport in Texas. So uh, it's good to be here. And yes, we've been eating a lot of tacos um, and they're amazing here, quite amazing. So, um, thanks for, for letting me be here and open God's word with you. Um, I realize y'all don't know me, um, and so that's a privilege to be able to do that. Um, and, uh, two things I want to say. First, there's a lot of extra stuff in the service today, and there's a lot in this passage we're going to look at. Um, and so because of those two things, I'm going to try to err on the side of brevity this morning, uh, which means there may be some wonderful things in the passage this morning that we're just not going to talk about. So uh, I would beg your forgiveness on that. That's any passage you open in Scripture, of course, there's always going to be some wonderful things that you don't, that you don't unearth and, 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 and rejoice over. So that's a good reason to study this further. So uh, the passage is in the bulletin this morning, but if you have a, a Bible with you, it'd be, uh, it would be good to turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we're going to read the first 19 verses. And one last sort of disclaimer, um, if this Britney Spears mic falls off my head, please just forgive me for that. Um, this is a new one for me, so... Uh, let's, let's pray before we read God's word. Father, this is your word. It's without error in any part. It's, it's given for your glory and for our good. Uh, and I pray that we would have open ears and open hearts to hear it and to understand this morning. I pray that you would hide me behind the cross you would speak through me and speak in spite of me. Would you do that this morning for Christ's sake? For we pray in his name, amen. All right, John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. 
And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is God's word. It was the year 71 BC, and the Roman general Crassus was engaged in a taxing war with the rebel gladiator Spartacus. And the war was not going well. And on one particular occasion, when Crassus's forces retreated from the battlefield, enraged at the apparent cowardice of his army, Crassus resurrected an ancient, cruel form of punishment known as decimation, in which by lottery, one-tenth of the armed forces was put to death as a punishment. The message could not be clearer, could it? Failure is not an option. What does the leader, what does the king or the general do with failures? And as we come to this passage this morning, the Holy Spirit is inviting us to ask that question. What does King Jesus do with failures? And I've been invited to preach for Lee's installation. And the reason I wanted to look at this passage is that you know this, Lee. And you know this as Christians. What do you do with your failures? How does the Lord Jesus deal with you in your failures? And you know... That so often in ministry, Lee, you are going to feel like a failure and have to remember how Jesus deals with failures because we see in this passage that Jesus loves failures. That, that Jesus' gospel and Jesus' kingdom are a ministry for failures. Jesus gives great grace to failures, and that's what we're going to look at this morning just in two simple headings. First, that Jesus welcomes failures. And second, that Jesus restores failures. Jesus welcomes failures. Jesus restores failures. If you need to sneak out, that's the sermon, just so you know. First off, Jesus welcomes failures. We're in the middle of, or we pick up in this story 
And it might not be clearly apparent, but if you know sort of the, the story of, uh, of, of the gospel accounts, you know uh, that before Jesus was crucified, he had told Simon Peter, Simon, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter had made big promises about, I will never fall away. And then, of course, he had denied him three times. And just a few chapters before, John records in chapter 18 how in the midst of Jesus' questioning, or Jesus was being questioned by the authorities before his execution, Peter's outside warming himself, John says in chapter 18, by a charcoal fire. Hang on to that. That's going to be important in a minute. And Peter denies him three times before the rooster crows. And so now on the shore here, Jesus shows up while they're out fishing. We don't know exactly why they're fishing. Commentators write a lot of things about that. It doesn't seem to be the biggest thing in the passage, so let's not worry about it this morning. Jesus shows up on the shore while they're fishing. And for a moment, I think we're meant to sort of expect Godfather justice. We're supposed to sort of expect the newly enthroned, resurrected king now settling scores with those who failed. And we expect him almost to say, Peter, I know it was you. You broke my heart. But he calls out and he says, children, have you caught any fish? And they haven't caught any. And he tells them to cast their nets on the other side and they catch this huge haul of fish, which you might catch ripples or echoes in that of Luke chapter five when Jesus first called Peter. It's as if we're going back to the story of how they first met and how Jesus first called him. And, and Peter swims to the shore when he realizes who it is. When, when John calls out and says it's the Lord, he swims to shore. And Jesus already has fish laid out. Jesus is already cooking fish before this great catch of fish that they get in the boat. In verse 12, Jesus says, come have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. That's what Jesus has to say to these people who failed him. Don't, don't miss that. Look, because we're like Peter this morning, aren't we? We're all some degree of failure this morning, whether you call yourself a Christian or not this morning. You know what it is to look at yourself in the mirror and only be able to think of the highlight reel of ways that you've let yourself down, let others down. You know what it is to have come up with lists and made promises like, Peter, I will never X, Y, Z. I will never whatever the other thing is. Even if everybody else fails you, I will never fail you, Jesus. And you know what it is to see those promises come to nothing as temptation and the flesh and the world and the devil lead you into failure. And you need to hear this, what Jesus says to failures, come have breakfast. It's, it's not Godfather justice, it's not Roman decimation. And these are the disciples who scattered and failed him and denied him and ran away and were afraid, who he had ministered among, who he had given everything for. And they failed him. And what does he say? Come have breakfast. That's Jesus welcoming these failures. It's, it's this immeasurable kindness. The late great Anthony Bourdain once said, the kindest thing you can do for another human being is cook them breakfast. 
And just like when Jesus washed their feet, he's cooking them breakfast. He's serving them. Friends, Jesus wants to have breakfast with you. Jesus wants to have breakfast with the real you. Not the you that you project onto social media. Not the you that you present at school or in the office. The you that can't get it right. The you that can't stop sinning. Jesus knows you and loves you and wants to have breakfast with you this morning. That's what this table's about. And it's significant, isn't it, that it's it's breakfast. It's It's not dinner. It's not a gala. It's not, Peter, put on your coat and your tails and let's, let's go have a fancy ball. It's, Peter, come sit down because, because it's this way in our world and it was the same way in that world. You eat breakfast with family. The people you eat breakfast with are the people who know you, who love you. I love to cook breakfast for my kids. I've got a five-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. And I love it when they come out in the morning with bedhead and in their frozen pajamas. We cook eggs and bacon and sausage. and the, You know that combination? This is the combined smell of coffee, syrup, and bacon. You imagine that with rays of sun coming through the window. That is just a moment that for all of your senses encapsulates the word, I love you. Right? Yes. Amen. I see that hand. Breakfast means I love you. And, and I don't want to wax too eloquent about this, but but it's significant that Jesus is feeding them the intimate daily morning morsel. It's not a big to-do. It's family breakfast. Come have breakfast. Jesus welcomes failures because he loves failures. That's what come have breakfast means. Now, secondly, Jesus restores failures. You see, in verse 15, as Jesus begins to question Peter, he begins to say, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Um, And it's significant, isn't it, that the, the question is not, Simon, son of John, you know, do you have all of your theological and apologetic and exegetical Ducks in a row. We're having a presbytery meeting, so we can use those words, right? We can do that this morning. It's not, do you have your cultural savvy ready to go? It's, as you go to UTSA, it's not, do you have your group development strategy ready? And is your fundraising ready? It's, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? What is, am, am, am I the, am I the center of your heart? It's not, are you doing enough devotions? It's not, are you going on the mission trips? It's not, are you doing whatever prayer walks and things, whatever those, whatever those standards are of what, quote, good Christians do. It's, do you love me? And how's that demonstrated? Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. We could dig deeper into that, but we don't have time. But that's the measure for Peter, isn't it? Feed the sheep. Not all the other things that Peter might want to do. Not all the other things that the world might be telling him he's supposed to do. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. 
But Jesus asks it three times, and it says Peter was grieved. It hurt his heart when Jesus asked the third time, do you love me? Why? Is it just that he's pressing the issue? Is it it just that he won't let it go? And Peter's like, Jesus, I just want you to believe me. I'm saying, you're asking the same question. Yes, I love you. Can we move on? I think it's a little bit more than that. I think, actually, friends, what Jesus is doing is he's taking Peter back to his denials. You see, we often think, like, I will grow as a Christian as I move past my failures, as I get away, as I, as I put more distance, more, more of a wake between me and my sin struggles, more, of a, more distance between me and my failures, but Jesus wants to take Peter exactly back to them. Three little, three little reasons that I think this is the case. One is just the mirroring of threes. Three denials, three times I don't know the man in John chapter 18. Three times Peter's saying, do you love me? And John loves to do little mirroring, things like that. The second is, is the time of day. It's the, same, it's the same time of day. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So the breaking of dawn, just as the rooster was crowing. There might have been roosters crowing in the distance here. It's the same time of day. So at, at, this, at this dawn, Jesus is reminding Peter of the dawn where he failed him, of the dawn where his obedience gave and where he wasn't enough. And third thing, it'd be easy to roll right past this. It says that Jesus had made a charcoal fire. There's one other instance in the New Testament of the word charcoal fire. And it's John chapter 18. When Peter is standing outside of Jesus's interrogation, warming himself by a charcoal fire. And y'all know this, charcoal has a unique smell, right? We just got football season back. And I know that you know that charcoal fire smells different. Meat that has been cooked over charcoal smells different. You know, and they say smell is the sense most uniquely tied to memory. So, so I don't have to tell you that when you smell charcoal, burning. I don't know where you go. Maybe a tailgate, maybe a camp out. Something, you know, it, it attaches to your memory. But Peter, I think, it's safe to say from the text, Peter is going back to that early morning when he was warming his hands and when he said, I don't know the man. Jesus wants to take him back there. It's as if Jesus is saying, Peter, if I'm not your shepherd here, if, I, if you're not my lamb at this place, then you haven't understood the good news yet. You haven't understood the kingdom. You don't know what it is to be my lamb or to be an under shepherd under me until you know what it is for me to shepherd you at the moment of your failure. So he's taking Peter back there. And that's what he does with us so often, isn't it? So often, it's, it's Jesus wants to take me back to the places where I've failed him to ask the question, do you love me? Was I the Lord of your heart in that moment? And if not, what was? Jesus sets a path for growth for us of him shepherding us in the moments of our failure. 
and Peter's heart was breaking. He, had had, he, he was given what the Apostle Paul calls godly grief that leads to repentance. It's the sentiment of the hymn, O come and mourn with me, with me a while. It says, O break, O break, hard heart of mine, thy weak self-love and guilty pride, his Pilate and his Judas were. Jesus, our Lord, is crucified. A broken heart, a fount of tears, ask and they will not be denied. A broken heart, love's cradle is. Jesus, our Lord, is crucified. And the interesting thing is that this is the point where Jesus commissions Peter to do ministry. It's not Peter with his resume that's like a CVS receipt that could go for a mile long about, Jesus, I'm certified in this kind of counseling, and I've done this kind of theological study. Great, can't use you. Jesus, I've failed you. Now you're ready. This is the point when Jesus commissions him for ministry. It's like a baseball glove. He's not useful until he's broken. You ever bought a new baseball glove? It's no use. What do you have to do? You have to beat it. You have to wear it in. I googled what some major league players do with new gloves. Sometimes you have to run it over with a truck. Sometimes you have to drop it off of a building. Sometimes you have to throw it in the oven. Sometimes you have to take it to the sauna. That's my preferred method. That's that's how it works in the kingdom of God so often, isn't it? We're useful to Jesus. Jesus works through us most powerfully when we are most broken. Now he's ready to minister like Jesus. He's ready to be a Christ-like shepherd. He's ready now to write as he will write in 1 Peter chapter 5, shepherd the flock of God. Because he knows what it is to be a lamb, to be a sheep. It's interesting, Charles Spurgeon wrote, uh, that Jesus says, feed my lambs, not my giraffes. You know, feeding a giraffe is pretty easy. You, you grab the food, Stick your hand up, the giraffe comes to you. But feeding lambs is backbreaking. You have to stoop. You have to be willing to come down to their level, just like Jesus did with his disciples, just like he does with us. And when he uses us as ordinary Christians in ministry, he's teaching us to stoop as he stooped, to be Christ-like to feed his lambs. I'll close with this this morning. Um, Have you ever heard of something called a bummer lamb? A bummer lamb is something that happens in shepherding occasionally where a mother you, a mother sheep, will reject one of her lambs for a variety of reasons and refuse to let it nurse and kick it away. And unless something is done, the lamb will die. And so what happens with bummer lambs is that the shepherd scoops the lamb up and does just what the mother you would do, holds it where it can hear his heartbeat, takes it into his house, covers it in blankets, warms it by the fire, nurses it with a bottle, 
and raises it until it's healthy enough to go back out into the flock. And then he releases it. And then it's just one of the flock. But then every time the shepherd calls the sheep, the first ones that come running are the bummers. The bummer lambs that know his heartbeat, that know his voice, that know his love for them. Lee, as you do ministry at UTSA, you're going to feel like a failure a lot of the time, and you're going to have to cling to the heartbeat of the good shepherd. Trinity Grace, as you walk with Jesus, as you consider the claims of Christianity, I hope you know the heartbeat of Jesus in this passage. Jesus loves failures. He welcomes failures. He restores failures. That's the good news this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we do pray indeed that you would meet us in our failures, uh, that you would meet us at the point where our sin has broken us, where we have been broken in our strength. I pray that we would know your heart, that we would know what it is to be gently nursed back to health by you. I pray that you would do business with us in such a way that we are more effective in your kingdom because we've experienced your grace through our failures. Would you do that, sir? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.